Well, if you have your Bibles with you, would you take them please and turn to the book of Genesis, the first chapter of the book of Genesis. I want to start there this morning. Then we're going to look, just read the first five verses of Genesis chapter one and then move on over to John chapter one. So Genesis chapter one and the gospel of John chapter one and today's message is the third in our series of looking at the I am sayings of our Lord. You remember Moses standing at the burning bush as recorded in the book of Exodus, uh, being introduced to the Lord uh, through that burning bush and receiving his instructions and, and commandment to go to Egypt and lead the people out of the bondage that they had been suffering in for over 400 years, asking by what authority and in whose name he would be doing all of this, should they ask him, the Lord responded, tell them, I am who I am has sent you. And we looked at the first message at all that that means. I am who I am. He's the eternal one who has always been, is, and always shall be. And then our Lord, when he was uh, standing before the people as recorded by John in his gospel, said that before Abraham was, I am. And so in making that statement, he claimed to have deity and was deity. He was God. And of course, uh, they did not accept him as such. But we're looking at uh, this statement that the Lord made concerning I am. And we're going to be looking at several different things that he says throughout the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, where he uses the term I am. Uh, last week, we looked at I am the bread of life. Today, we're looking at I am the light of the world. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have the... Um, the, the uh, recording and um, uh, announcement to uh, the world of how the world began didn't begin with a big bang. It may end with a big bang, but it began with God speaking it into existence. If, if those who believe that there's something existed other than God at the time uh, it said it had to go off and be bang, well, something had to exist in order to go bang. Uh, so God, I believe, created everything brought it into existence by the spoken word. So look at it, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. So God created the light and spoke it into existence. The voice of God is powerful, is it not? Going to the gospel of John and the first well, I want to read the first nine verses, but the first five verses, it has been said, is actually John's uh, interpretation and statement about uh, Genesis chapter one. Uh, he uses the word word in his um, explanation of the creation of the world. And as I've shared with you before, anytime you come across the word word, spelled with a capital W, it is in reference to the Lord Jesus. And also today, as we look at various scriptures, we're going to come across the word light. And whenever you see the word light, also spelled with a capital L, it is a reference to Jesus. 
So here in John 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, see Genesis 1, 1 said, in the beginning, God created. So now he is saying, in the beginning was the word. So Jesus is the word here and Jesus is eternal as is his father. So he was very much active in the creation of the world. So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was, that is the word was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now notice verse four, in him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Then came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He, that is John, was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which came into the world to enlighten every man. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own knew him not and received him not. But as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Everyone is familiar with the sequence of day and night, and it is no surprise, therefore, that in many languages, light and darkness are used as metaphors. Light symbolizes goodness, darkness symbolizes evil. In the scriptures, the Bible tells us that light, uh, that God is light. In, in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, you find that statement, God is light. And in the book of John chapter 3, Satan and evil are described as being in a world of darkness, of spiritual darkness. According to the 13th chapter of Romans, sinners perform deeds of darkness, whereas in other places of the Bible, we are told that those who walk in the light are children of the light. Jesus referred to hell as a place of outer darkness, so there'll be no light in hell. Outer darkness is just about as dark and deep and dark as one can possibly become and experience. So he refers to it as outer darkness. But in the book of Revelation, we are told there is no darkness uh, and there's no night in heaven. We'll, as far as I know, the Bible doesn't say anything about our going to sleep when we get to heaven. We will be active, I guess, 24-7 as we might say. And there's no sun. We'll see this as we come to the end of uh, the message today. Uh, there is no sun, S-U-N, in heaven, rather the sun, S-O-N, the Son of God is the lamp of heaven and it will illuminate all of heaven for all eternity. When he began his public ministry after John the Baptist was killed, Jesus began his public ministry in fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah where it says the people who were sitting in darkness saw a great light and those who were sitting in the land and the shadow of death was upon them and light shone and dawned upon them. So when Jesus said that he was the light of the world, he was standing at the temple 
in Jerusalem. I want you to take your Bibles. Hopefully you're now in John, the first chapter, and turn to the seventh chapter of John's gospel. Where and when did Jesus make the statement that he was the light of the world? And it is believed that he made that statement during what was called the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. Now, what was the Feast of the Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths? Well, it was a celebration that the people of Israel observed once a year, usually in what was called the seventh month, which would have been our mid-September to mid-October. It was a celebration that lasted for eight weeks. And it was a celebration that remembered that for 40 years, the children of Israel had wandered in the wilderness. And uh, wandering in the wilderness meant that they did not have a permanent place to dwell in. So they lived in tents. So they would put up their tents and stay for a while and then they would take them down and move, put them back up and take them down and so forth for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness living in tents until Joshua led them over the Jordan and into the promised land where they could establish a permanent dwelling. So in commemoration of those 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and living in tents, they had this festival that was called the Festival of the Booths or the Festival of the Tabernacles. And one of the things that they did during this eight-week period of time is that they would take branches and they would make uh, makeshift tents or little booths on the top of their uh, houses. Remember, they didn't have pitched roofs like we have. Their roofs were flat. And oftentimes those flat roofs could be used as an extra room. Uh, maybe if you had guests, you could put them up there. Or maybe during the summer when it was so hot, you'd want to get up on the top of the roof in the night and be cooled by the cool breeze that would blow by. So most of the houses in those days had flat roofs. And so they would take these branches up to the top of the houses and they would build their little makeshift tents or their little shelters. And they would live, they would move out of the downstairs and they would move up to the roof in those places and they would stay there all week long remembering how their forefathers and ancestors had traveled in the wilderness in the booths. Now also we are told that, uh, and Jesus will, in the passage of scripture, if you were to read all of John's gospel, seventh chapter, would make reference to his being the water of life. Uh, at, at one point during each of the days, the priest would go to the pool of Siloam and they would take pitchers of water and they would take them to the, to the brazen altar and they would pour the water out on the edge of the water on the, on the brazen altars to remember at one time, not only were they hungry, but they were also thirsty. And in the 17th chapter of the book of Numbers, the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock or, or to strike the rock and the rock would bring, bring forth water. And so they would take this water and they would pour it out to remember that also uh, God not only provided food for them, but also water so that they would not die of, of thirst. And so this would also take place every day. Then at one point in uh, the uh, observance of the uh, of the tabernacle or the feast of the tabernacle, uh, the priest would go to the temple and, and they would light candelabras, four major candelabras, and, and they would stay lit. And at night, especially, it would illuminate the entire city. This would also commemorate the time 
when the Lord not only provided water for them, but also had a cloud, a pillar of cloud that followed them during the day, but at night there was a pillar of fire that gave them light. And so they were never without light. And so to commemorate this, they would take torches and light them and uh, they would celebrate, they would dance, uh, they would party, they would have a, a good time, not a sinful time, but a rejoicing and celebrating time. It was said that even they would imitate marching around the city of Jerusalem as Joshua did at Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. So it was an entire week of festivity, of joy, of celebration, of remembering that God provided light for them uh, through the pillar of fire and the, and the cloud at day and of course the water that was provided for them as well. Now with that as kind of a background, look at the uh, seventh chapter of the book of John. Look, if you would, please, at verses 1 and 2. John chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now notice verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of booths, was near. It was near. That means it was about to start. Maybe in a few hours or maybe in a day or two. But the beginning of the Feast of the Booths or the Tabernacles was going to start real soon. Now, if you skip down in chapter 7 to verse 14. In verse 14, it says, but when it was now the midst of the feast, Jesus went up unto the temple and began to teach. So now it's the middle of the week, four days since the feast began. And Jesus was drawing near when it was going to start. Now here he is in the middle of the week and he's going to the temple and he's going to teach them. If you'll skip down to verse 37, it says, Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Remember, they took water from the pool of Siloam and took it to the brazen altar and poured it out to commemorate how God had provided water for them. Remember what Jesus said to the woman at the well, if you drink of the water that comes from this well, you'll thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. So now they've come to the last day of the great feast and Jesus cries out and says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believe in him were to receive for the spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. It was then in this context that Jesus makes his statement about being the light of the world. Go to chapter 8 and verse 12. In chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus makes his statement. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, Picture in your mind, remember the candelabras that were lit and were burning. Now they've come to the end of the week of festivity. So they're going to put out the lights. And it may have been Jesus was there in the temple as they were extinguishing the lights. 
And the lights were going out. You remember when Eli, the prophet, got word that the Ark of the Covenant had been taken and uh, his daughter-in-law having give birth to a child named the child Ichabod, which means deserted by God. When you write Ichabod across something, it means God is deserted. And so uh, the Ark of the Covenant symbolizing the presence of the Lord meant to Eli and all these other people of that day that the glory and light of God had gone away, departed. Now, uh, Jesus standing in the temple and there are extinguishing these torches and these candelabras that have been lit. The light is going out and now once Jesus says to them, hey, the lights may be going out, but this light's still burning. I am the light of the world. He says it a second time in the eighth chapter of John's gospel down in verse, um, no, excuse me, chapter nine, verse five. Chapter nine and verse five, Jesus says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So Jesus is uh, speaking here of himself as being the light of the world. And so in the moments that remain, what I'm wanting to do is to take the natural light, sun, S-U-N, and compare it to the spiritual light, S-O-N, of Jesus. So we're taking the natural light and the spiritual light and seeing a comparison between the two and hopefully can learn some lessons from it as well. And the first thing that I want to share with you is this, and it's out on your, printed out on your outline, that natural light is unchanging. Natural light is unchanging and Jesus is unchanging also. Now, we are told that the speed and the nature of light never changes. The speed of light remains the same, consistent, always, forever. It never changes. The nature of light never, never changes. Jesus, likewise, never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Remember, he is the great I am, the one who never changes. And so Jesus is eternal and his nature never changes. In the book of James chapter one and verse 17, the Bible says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So as the Father, so is the Son. Because Jesus said, I and the Father are one and the same. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. For what you can say of the Father, you can also say of the Son. And if it is said of the Father that there's no variation in him, that there's no shifting or shadow shifting of, of the nature of the Father, it can also be said that of Jesus, that Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is eternal. He is the eternal one. He's always existed. There never has been a time that he hasn't existed. He exists today. He will forever exist. He is the eternal one. Now, the New American Standard that I read from uses the expression, there is no variation or shifting shadow. The New Living Translation says he never changes or cast a shifting shadow. In other words, there's no sunset for Jesus. There's no sunrise to Jesus. 
Jesus is always shining at high noon. He never changes. The New English translation says there is no variation or the slightest hint of a change in the Father. The J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, there is never the slightest variation or shadow of inconsistency. So Jesus is not inconsistent. He's the same. He never changes. And we can be grateful that while things all around us may change, Jesus is the solid rock who never changes. But not only is Christ unchanging, natural light has life-giving power and Christ has spiritual life-giving power. You as I well know there can be no life in the physical world without light. Photosynthesis literally means put together by light. And if the light were to suddenly cease to shine, if the sun were to suddenly go out and cease to shine, all physical life on planet earth would cease to exist. You and I would cease to exist. God doesn't have to take life away from you for you to cease to exist. All he has to do is stop the sun from shining. If God were to withhold the light, photosynthesis would be impossible and you and I would suffocate for lack of oxygen. Spiritually, the same is true. There is no life without the light of Jesus. But when he shines on your life, a spiritual photosynthesis takes place and new life is produced and there is vitality in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now go back in your mind for a moment to the book of Genesis and to the third chapter of Genesis when Adam and Eve are tempted by the devil to take of the forbidden fruit. Jesus had, or the father had warned them, you're not to eat of this fruit. The moment you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Well, they ate of the fruit, but they didn't die immediately. In fact, if you'll read in the book of Genesis, um, Adam lived to be 930 years old. So what did it mean when the Lord said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of this forbidden fruit, you're going to die? Well, they did die immediately in their spirit. They died progressively in their soul and they died ultimately in their bodies. Someone has said that when Adam and Eve sinned, the Lord went out, and when the Lord went out, spirituality departed because there was no Lord. And when Adam and Eve sinned, not only did the Lord go out, but the life went out, and they became spiritually dead. There was no life. And when the Lord went out and the life went out, the light went out, and now they were in spiritual darkness because they had no light. The Bible tells us that to be a sinner means that you are in the darkness of sin and that you are dead in trespasses and sin. So spiritual life is also the same as natural life. It gives us spiritual life. There is life in Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I came to give you life and that you might have it more abundantly. Natural light is unchanging. Jesus is unchanging. Natural light has life-giving power. Christ has spiritual giving power. Notice a third thing. Natural light is pure, and Jesus is pure. In John chapter 1 and verse 5, 
The Bible says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. But in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says this is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and there is in him no darkness at all. No even shade of darkness in Jesus at all. Now light is a wonderful symbol of our Lord because light cannot be defiled by any medium that it passes through or by any substance that it falls upon. This is true of nothing else in our entire universe. Light is pure. There's no purer light in the world than the light of the sun. Now, pure water can come out of a mountain stream, but soon be defiled by whatever it touches. The crystal white snow falls from above upon the earth, but when it hits the ground, it becomes filthy and dingy. Light, however, cannot be contaminated by anything that it falls upon or passes through. This speaks to us of the holiness of God and the stainless purity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is light that cannot be defiled and cannot defile anything. Now, when our Lord was here in his earthly flesh, he touched many sinners while he was here, but he was never touched by sin. There was a woman who was brought to him who had been caught in the, in the act of adultery, in the very act of adultery itself. Jesus saw her, but he was never stained by that sin. He was never uh, corrupted by that sin. He, he was not defiled by what he saw, and he forgave her of that sin. Jesus' purity shone brightly through the temptations. You remember there in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4 where our Lord was taken out into the wilderness and driven out into the wilderness and tempted all those days in those 40 days that he was there, three that were recorded, turn stone into bread and jump off the pinnacle and bow down and worship me. Our Lord was bothered by none of that. The light was still shining. You know, we are told that there are seven colors that comprise the spectrum of light that comes from the sun. When all seven colors are combined, the result is pure light. Take away the light and you rob the world of color. Without Jesus, the world and our lives would lose all color and grow exceedingly dark. The light of the world is Jesus and that light is pure. Notice a fourth thing. Natural light conquers darkness and Christ conquers darkness as well. Notice in John chapter 1 and verse 5, it says that the light shines in darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I, I wish there were a better translation, and there are better translations than the King James. Uh, to comprehend, you think, means to understand. But the New Living Translation says the darkness can never extinguish it. Would be a better translation. Or as the NIV says, the darkness has not overcome it. Or as the J.B. Phillips paraphrase says, the darkness has never put it out. I think those are better understandings and translations of what it means for it to say the darkness uh, did not comprehend it. it the darkness, didn't, darkness does not overthrow light. Light overthrows darkness. 
All the darkness of the universe could never extinguish even the smallest candle. Light always overpowers darkness, always does. That's why you remember during World War II, they were always told to, you know, even if you're on board a ship, to never go out on the deck and light a cigarette because the, even the light of a very small cigarette can be seen for miles and miles and miles Tell the enemy where you are. So light overcomes and overthrows and conquers darkness. Jesus does the same thing. You know, Satan is a formidable foe, but the grand truth is that darkness is totally powerless against light. Have you ever played the game of anonyms where somebody would say a, a, a word and you were to give the opposite meaning, a word of the opposite meaning? For example, if I were to say to you, up, you would maybe say down. Or if I would say good, that you would say bad. Or if I would say rich, you would say poor. But if I were to say God, what would you say? Satan? No, no. You wouldn't say Satan. Satan is not an anonym to God. You say Satan and his kingdom of darkness does not equal God. It's not God versus Satan. There's nothing nor anything in the world that is equal to God. God is unique, one of a kind. And there's nothing, not even the devil and all the heavenly demons can compare to the greatness and the uniqueness of God. So there's not enough darkness in the entire universe to put out the light of anything. And so God has no opposite that is equal to him in power or authority. Satan's darkness is not the opposite of God's light, but the absence of it. So natural light conquers darkness. Spiritual light conquers the world of spiritual darkness. The fifth thing that I share with you is that natural light exposes what is in the darkness and Christ exposes what's in the darkness of sin. In the third chapter of John's gospel, go ahead and turn there if you would, please. You know, light reveals what's in the darkness. I remember as a child, my brother and I uh, would sometimes ride our bicycles to the local theater to watch a horror movie, uh, The War of the Worlds. Remember The War of the Worlds or Frankenstein meets the werewolf or whatever? Yeah, I went to those kinds of movies when I was a kid. You did too. We lived several blocks from where the theater was and we'd ride our bicycles up there, but it was daylight when we went, but it was dark when, it came back, when we came back and we had to ride our bicycles down the streets. And every once in a while, you'd come up on a street light, but most time you were in the dark. And we really got scared when the neighborhood dogs would start barking and chasing us down the street. Well, I was always glad when we turned the corner and I could see our house and the light was on at the front door. I was fast enough on my bicycle that I could roll up the hill right in front of our house and I could just let the bicycle keep rolling in the bushes and not hit the door, man. <laughs> I was glad to see that light. I wish I'd have seen one on November the 3rd. <laughs> For those of you who don't know what they're laughing about, that's when I tripped over my suitcase. Ended up with a total shoulder replacement. If I'd have just turned on that light. 
it would have revealed and reminded me that I had put my suitcase at the foot of the bed where you should never do. <laughs> and get up at four o'clock in the morning and think that you know your way from the bed to the bathroom and you forget that the suitcase is there and you stumble and fall, make a fool out of yourself. I don't know how many times I've said to myself, why didn't you turn on that light? Well, light reveals what's in the darkness so that you don't stumble. And Jesus is the light of the world so that you don't stumble over sin. In the third chapter of the uh, uh, Gospel of John, look beginning please with verse um, 17. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You, you don't have to wait until you die to be judged uh, about rejecting Jesus. If you're not a believer in Jesus and if you have not trusted Christ, you are already under judgment. You are under the judgment of God already. Verse 19. This is judgment that light has come into the world and what men love darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light. Why? Why do they not come to the light? For fear that their deeds will be exposed. Because Jesus will expose you. You remember when the woman who had been caught in adultery was brought to Jesus and, and they said, well, the law says she's to be stoned to death. You remember, he, he bent over and, and wrote something in the sand. I don't know what he wrote. Nobody does. The scripture doesn't say. But I can't help but think in some way he was exposing their sin. Their sin. You see, the Bible says there's nothing that you do in the dark that won't be revealed on the day of judgment unless it's under the blood of Jesus. And here he is saying the reason why people don't come to the light, spelled with a capital L, which means Jesus, is because they love their sins. And they bask in their sins. They enjoy it. And, and, and if they come to the light, that means they're going to have to give up their sins. They're going to have to repent. They're going to have to turn away from their sins. They don't want to do that. They love their sins more than they love God. And verse 21 says, but he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested as have been wrought in God. Manifested, yes. The deeds of sin will be manifested. The deeds of goodness will be manifested as well. And so light reveals what's in the darkness. Number six, natural light gives guidance and Christ gives spiritual guidance. In the 13th chapter of the book of Exodus, we are told that God led the people of Israel. Exodus 13 verse 17 says, Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near, because God said, If I lead them in the way of the Philistines, they're going to have to go to fight and be at war, and this is too soon for them to do that. That will happen later. So God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines. It says in verse 18, hence God led the people around by the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea. 
Then in Exodus 13 and verse 21, it says, The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light that they might have to be traveled by day as well as night. So God led them and he led them by the light that he provided for them at night. The Bible tells us in the words of Jesus, I am the way. I am the way to heaven. I am the way to righteousness. I am the way to the forgiveness of sin. Over in the 10th chapter of John's gospel, he says, there's not many doors to heaven. There's only one. And if anybody tries to get into heaven by any other way than the door that has been provided, he's a thief and a robber. There are not many ways to righteousness. If you were to take all of the righteousness of everybody in the entire world, it would still be short of what God's righteousness is. If I were to have a giant-sized vacuum cleaner and I could start over here with the, with the orchestra and, and just go to every person in this room and just suck out of you all of the goodness and the righteousness that is in you and you and you and the balcony and all of the choir and myself. If I could just take out all of your righteousness out of all of you and put it into one person, that person would still have to be saved. There are none righteous, no, not one. You cannot measure up to the requirements and the demands for righteousness in Almighty God. There are none righteous, no, not one. And your righteousness is in the eyes of God as filthy rags. Do you know what that word filthy rags means? Have you ever had a, a sore or cut place on you that got infected and all that yucky stuff there and they put a bandage on it and then after a while it has to be changed and you peel that off and you see all that infection and all that stuff. That's what he's talking about. Your righteousness in the eyes of God is like a filthy, stinky rag that has infection all over it. Unrighteous. God leads you into righteousness and to, and, to, and to life. Romans 8, 14 says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Now quickly we come to the conclusion and, and I want you to turn to, of course, John chapter nine, verse five, where Jesus says that I am the light of the world. We've got that hopefully embedded in your mind now and heart. Verse 5, he says, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, someday the sun, S-U-N, will no longer be needed. People sometimes worry about what's going to happen to the sun. Well, we're not going to be around if it were to burn out. But let it burn out. We're not going to need it. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that there is another kind of light that is going to shine through all eternity. That will never be extinguished that would never burn out, never run out of fuel. And it's not the S-U-N, it's the S-O-N, the Son of God. Look at it in Revelation 21. Uh, I want to begin with verse 23 through 27. He is describing the city, New Jerusalem. That is, John is, writing by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about heaven and the city that is in heaven. And he says, the city has no need of the sun, are of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God has illuminated and its lamp is the lamb. The word lamb is spelled with a capital L. That's Jesus. He said the Lord doesn't need the S-U-N. He's got the S-O-N who is the lamb of God 
uh, slain before the foundation of the earth. Verse 24 says, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So the Lamb, capital L-A-M-B, is the Son, S-O-N, of God, and He is aglow. Tonight we're going to talk about that as we look at the last phrases of the ancient hymn of the early church, where it says He was caught up and taken up into glory. The word literally means that He was taken up in glory, <laughs> that He was all aglow. And, and he, he glows, He radiates with that pure light and it illuminates all of heaven and all of the universe. So the S-U-N will cease to exist. There'll no longer be a need for that sun, the natural light, for we'll have the spiritual light that illuminates all the universe and the, in, in all of heaven forever and forever and forever. Now, I'm, I'm coming to the conclusion now and I want you to go back to the Gospel of John and look at chapter 12. In, in, in John chapter 12, and, and, and this coming to the conclusion of the message uh, is, is perhaps the most important thing for you to hear of all that has been said thus far. John chapter 12, beginning with verse 27. Jesus says, now my soul has become troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. He's talking about the, the cross and the crucifixion and his death. Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came into the hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sake. Now notice verse 31. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world is Satan. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He's talking about his crucifixion and his resurrection. The the crowd then answered him, we've heard of, in the law that, that Christ is to remain forever. He, he's not going to die. Then how can you say the son of man must be lifted up, which is a reference to his death? Who is the son of man, they asked. Verse 35. So Jesus said to them, now notice, for a little while longer. You ought to underscore those words. A little while longer. For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light. Again, repeat it. Look at verse 35. He says, for a little while longer, the light will be here. You better walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. Now notice again in verse 36, he warns, while you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke, and notice, he went away and hid himself from them. 
Now you might say to yourself, well, if it is so important for us to see the light, why does he now go and hide himself? Well, he tells you why in the next verse, verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. And the term means that they were hard-hearted, stubborn, unwilling to yield to Jesus, unwilling to recognize him as the son of light. You remember back in John chapter 9, Jesus said, while I am in the light, I am the world of the light. Now he tells you three times, while I am here, while you have the opportunity, know the light, walk in the light, believe the light. You notice back up, if you're still in John chapter 12 at verse 31, Jesus answered and said, this voice came not for my sake, but for yours. Now judgment is upon the world. The word judgment there comes from a Greek word that means opportunity. So he was saying the opportunity for judgment is coming. The opportunity for you to trust me now and believe that I am the light and receive me into your life is now. Now the opportunity is for you to respond. Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. Don't postpone it. My friend, the light for you could be burning out and Jesus will be hard to find, possibly never found, if you maintain a stubborn heart of unbelief. So heed the warning of Jesus. While you have the light, believe the light. Let's bow together. <clears throat> if you're here today without having trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've got good news for you. There's wonderful hope and wonderful life awaiting you if you're willing to trust Jesus. If you're just willing to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and confess that you're a sinner and, and that he is the Savior, the Son of God who died on the cross to save you and invite him into your life to forgive you of your sins, that light will come shining in your life to never burn out again. If you just say a prayer like this, if, you, if you've never prayed and asked Jesus to save you, just repeat this prayer silently in your heart or whatever, verbally if you choose, but just say, oh God, I confess that I am a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin and I want to turn from my sin. I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on the cross for my sin and, and rose from the dead. I trust him now as my savior. Please, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I surrender my life to you. I want you as the light of the world to shine eternally in my heart. I put my trust in you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus. In your name I pray, amen. And if you've never prayed that prayer before or one similar to that, and you've done so now, the next step would be for you to make it public. Don't ever be ashamed to be a Christian. Don't ever be embarrassed. Let other people know that you are a follower of Christ. That's why we give an invitation at the end of our services to give you an opportunity to openly and publicly confess to the people who are here and in the world that you are a follower of Christ. Jesus said, if you'll confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father who is in heaven. 
So we give an invitation for you to respond. Maybe you're here today, you are a Christian, but your membership is somewhere else and you feel that this is where God would have you to come and place your life in your membership. We would welcome you in the name of Christ as he leads you. Let's all stand and as we sing, you come.